You're listening to A Sure Hope with Pastor Dave Shank of Calvary Chapel, Cape May in Cape May, New Jersey. Join us as Pastor Dave teaches verse by verse through God's Word. Right there in the middle of a bar in a hotel in downtown Las Vegas, a heathen sitting right there before her who had just been sipping vodka tonics until they run dry. And she witnessed Jesus Christ to me. And I was mesmerized. I couldn't move. I couldn't leave if I wanted to. I just sat there and stared. Number one, I was in disbelief that was this happening because I had a whole different idea of the scenario that was supposed to take place. Trust me on that, folks. And she was sitting there witnessing me in Christ. I'm like, my gosh. God isn't afraid of the darkest places man can devise. Whether that's a seedy bar, a back alley in a crime-ridden city, or a tribal village in the middle of Africa, God will go where the lost are. As Pastor Dave illustrates in today's message, even in his own story, long before he came to Christ, he can look back and see the way God was working. Now here's Pastor Dave in the book of Acts chapter 18 as he begins his message, After these things, Paul departed from Athens to Corinth. You are I want to start today by giving you a pop quiz. I was a teacher. Come on, I can do that. I want to give you a pop quiz. So see if you can name this city. This city has a population of 1.9 million people and is the most populous city of its state. This city has a growing retirement community and oddly enough, a huge family community that's also growing in this city. In fact, it's one of the fastest growing cities in the United States. This city is a center for trade and travel. The center is a city and a center for money. Also in this city, you'll find all sorts of vices, new philosophies, and new religions. This city is internationally renowned for its entertainment and considers itself the entertainment capital of the world. The city's tolerance for adult entertainment has named the title and earned the title Sin City. Most recently, the city's saying was, what happens here stays here. If you guessed Las Vegas, you would be correct. However, there are some cities that might even meet this, New York being one of them. There are some cities that meet these characteristics. However, Las Vegas still stands alone at the top of this notorious list for a city with an anything-goes attitude. In our text today... The Apostle Paul leaves Athens and he goes about 50 miles west and comes upon the city of Corinth. When we look at verse 1 in chapter 18, it says, After these things, Paul departed from Athens and went to Corinth. Corinth in Paul's day was a city very, very much like Las Vegas. In fact, some call Corinth a mix between Las Vegas, Hollywood, and San Francisco. Corinth had a long history as being a sinful city, even centuries before the Apostle Paul came there. The city was eventually besieged by the Roman Empire in 146 BC and destroyed completely. However, the great Julius Caesar, right before his assassination, restored the city of Corinth and restored all of the vile, nastiness, sinfulness, in fact, even added a few back to its original glory, if you want to use that word. 
Almost every wicked vice that was practiced during that day or during any day was practiced in Corinth. Whenever they would seek to have a Corinthian in a play, they would have him represented as a drunk. The proverb used to say, he lives like a Corinthian, and this means that this person lives a licentious, debauched life. On the Acropolis, above the city of Corinth, there was this huge, large temple dedicated to none other than Aphrodite. She had over 1,000 priestesses who were nothing more than prostitutes, and they applied their trade every day and every night. If someone called you a Corinthian girl or a Corinthian companion, they were calling you a prostitute. Since the reputation of Corinth was so well known over the entire Roman Empire, it's no surprise that Paul would write to Roman believers describing the downward spiral of man from Corinth. He was in Corinth when he wrote to the Romans, and he said these things, specifically in verses 18 and 19. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness, because what may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown it to them. Paul goes on to speak of God's invisible attributes which are clearly seen, and man has no excuse because they knew God, but they didn't glorify him as God, he says. And they weren't thankful because their hearts were darkened, and they were foolish. They professed to be wise, they became fools, and they changed the glory of the incorruptible God and made him an image of corruptible man. They made idols to worship him instead of the one true living God. Paul says, therefore, God gave them also up to their uncleanliness in the lust of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves who exchanged the truth of God for the lie and worship and serve the creature rather than the creator. For this reason, God gave them up to their vile passions. He gave them up to their vile passions. You want it so badly? Here it is. Women exchanged the natural use for what is against nature. Men leaving the natural use of a woman Burn with lust for one another, men with men, committing what is shameful and receiving in themselves the penalty of their error which was due. Paul says God gave them over to a debased mind to do the things which are not fitting. And then we get a glimpse of maybe what Paul saw outside his window as he was writing this letter to the church of Rome. Maybe Paul was seeing this because remember, this letter was written in Rome. He says, being filled with all unrighteousness, sexual immorality of wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, evil-mindedness. They are whisperers, backbiters, haters of God, violent, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, undiscerning, untrustworthy, unloving, unforgiving, unmerciful, who, knowing the righteous judgment of God, that those who practice such things are deserving death, not only do the same, but also approve of them who practice. Wow. So I guess we could say that whatever happened in Corinth didn't stay in Corinth because Paul told the world. Paul told the world about what was happening in Corinth. But it was into this pagan city that was filled with debauchery and into this heathenistic culture that the Apostle Paul once walks again, armed only and solely with the gospel of Jesus Christ. He didn't even have Timothy and Silas with him. He was by himself. How many of you could walk into Atlantic City? How many of you could walk into Las Vegas? How many of you can walk into Cape May and witness Jesus Christ? 
I'd like to tell you a little story that I told my wife. Some of you may have known this before. Years before I met my lovely wife, Beatrice, I was a regular visitor to Las Vegas. I lived in Denver, Colorado, and it was only a a 60-minute flight from Denver to Vegas. Actually, no, it was an hour and a half flight from Denver to Vegas. And because it was a different time zone, you got on the plane at 7 o'clock and you landed at 7.30 the same day. We went to Vegas almost once a month. We could go to Vegas round trip for $60. We would go to Vegas and not even get a room over the weekend. But I went to Vegas on a regular basis. Sometimes I would spend up to a week there in Vegas. This one spring break, this is way, way before Christ, but this one spring break, I was sitting at a local bar in the hotel in which I was staying at, and I was having a few drinks. The barmaid who was serving the drinks and I were making all kinds of eye contact. She was smiling. I was smiling. And she kept on serving me drinks. And we kept on talking. And I kept on paying for these drinks. But we continued to talk. And we continued to flirt. It was Vegas. Then all of a sudden she looks at me and she says, I go on break in 10 minutes. Would you like to get a table and and sit with me? Boy, would I. Absolutely. So... I got us a table right there in the bar, and I'm sitting down waiting for her to come. When she comes, she brings all this literature, and she sits down with me. And for some reason, her demeanor had kind of changed. And she sat there for the next hour and a half and witnessed to me Jesus Christ, his death and his resurrection, right there in the middle of a bar in a hotel in downtown Las Vegas. A heathen sitting right there before her who had just been sipping vodka tonics until they run dry. And she witnessed Jesus Christ to me. And I was mesmerized. I couldn't move. I couldn't leave if I wanted to. I just sat there and stared. Number one, I was in disbelief that was this happening because I had a whole different idea of the scenario that was supposed to take place. Trust me on that, folks. And she was sitting there witness to me in Christ. I'm like, oh my gosh. Now, I wish the story ended with me giving my life to Christ, but it did not. In fact, I didn't give my life to Christ until some years later. But when I did, I remembered this girl. The crazy thing about this is, after our little session here, when she witnessed to me Jesus Christ, I stayed in that hotel, drank at that bar for four or five more days, never saw that girl again. See, one of two things happened. It was either a divine appointment by God, which it was, and when the company heard about it, they fired her. I don't know. But I never saw the girl again. Never. I think that's remarkable. It had a profound effect on me. When I became born again, it really had a profound effect on me. Just her demeanor and the way she presented the gospel message. This is where Paul is. Paul is walking into the worst place he could possibly walk. He just came from the hub of intelligence. It's like he's sliding downhill, folks, going from the most intelligent people to the most debauched people he could possibly find. But this is Paul the missionary who is seeking to save and win those that are lost to Christ. This is Paul the church planner. Paul, the church planner, who knows that if he plants a church in this place, in this city right now, what could happen? You know right now there are no less than six Calvary chapels in Las Vegas proper? No less than six Calvary chapels. I am sure there are many, many other churches of denominations, but there are no less than six Calvary chapels inside Las Vegas proper. And in the surrounding areas, there's like four or five more. It was into this city of sin that Paul walked after these things. 
after these things. And remember last week when Dave talked about after these things, and this is what reminded me about, and I started thinking about that. For example, I know that the obvious link to this phrase is what happened in Athens. That's the obvious link to this phrase. As I told you, many, many people believe that Paul was profoundly changed by what happened in Athens. Paul's preaching changed, his teaching changed. But some things about Paul were already established, and I think Athens just helped to mold him into who he was. Paul had now more resolve than ever to preach Jesus Christ to those that were lost. But like last week's message, we can go a little further back. We can go a little further back and we can look and glean and pull out some characteristics from Paul that were developed after these things. Since Paul entered Europe, he's trying to establish beachhead after beachhead. He was suffered beatings in Philippi. He had civil unrest and death threats in Thessalonica and Berea, which caused him to run for his very life. And he had complete indifference in Athens. But if you retrace Paul's steps all the way back to his first missionary journey, you'll find that all the entire time he was there, he met many different people. He met people of different races. He met people of different religions. He met people from different backgrounds. He met people of different levels of intelligence, different in every way from him. But the simple fact is he witnessed to everyone. He witnessed to every single person person that he came in contact with. It was after these things that Paul went to Corinth after he learned that God was no respecter of persons. God does not respect a person. I think Paul was so blessed and so bowled over that he was saved, that he alone, a murderer, was saved, that he couldn't believe it, that he had to share that news with other people saying, listen, if God can save me, I know that he can save you. You might feel that way. I know I do. I know I feel that way. If God could give me salvation, whoa, he must be a mighty God, so therefore salvation could come to anybody, knowing my background and my history. I love this characteristic about Paul. He knew that when God granted salvation through Jesus Christ, it was available to every nationality. It was available to every race. It was available to every religion, intelligence or no intelligence, rich or poor, young or old, past, present, lifestyles. It didn't matter, and it doesn't matter. This is the first characteristic that I, I want to look at today because Paul now was truly a man of no partiality. As a Pharisee, Paul was extremely prejudiced. As a Pharisee, he was extremely prejudiced towards those that weren't Jewish. He was extremely prejudiced to this new sect that come up, this way. And he went out of his way to destroy it. Paul was extremely a prejudiced man, but now he knew that God shows no partiality, not only in his judgment, but he also shows no partiality in who receives salvation, is in dispensation of grace. And he bestows that to everybody. Again, going back to Romans, look what he writes in Romans 2 to 11. Therefore, after what he said about man, the depravity of man, and what he said about man's just complete disgustedness in our natural state, he says, therefore, you are inexcusable, O man, whoever you are to judge. Who do you judge somebody? For in whatever you judge another and condemn yourself. For you who judge practice the same things. But we we know that the judgment of God is according to truth against those who practice such things. Do you think this, O man, you who judge those practicing such things and doing the same will escape the judgment of God? Or do you despise the riches of his goodness, forbearance, and long-suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance? 
But in accordance with your hardness and your impenitent heart, you are treasuring up for yourself wrath in the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God, who will render to each one according to his deeds eternal life to those by patient continuance in doing good, seek for glory, honor, and immortality. But to those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, indignation, and wrath, tribulation, anguish on every soul of man who does evil, to the Jew first and also the Greek. But glory, honor, peace to everyone who works what is good, to the Jew first and also the Greek, for there is no partiality with God. Paul wrote these words, as I said, in Corinth. Remember, he pointed out that sin and these who were notoriously guilty, these people. And now he says, now I'm going to talk about the people who are okay morally, supposedly, in their conduct, and they're walking around congratulating themselves. You know, it's kind of like the Pharisee who wakes up in the morning and says, thank God I'm like that, that person. You know, condemning himself. These people are respecter of persons. Their moral conduct is okay, but they judge those who don't act like they do. They judge those that are different. You know, in the synagogues, rabbi, rabbis even taught God, that God showed partiality towards the Jews, that there was going to be one condemnation for the Jews and one condemnation for the Gentiles. The rabbis taught that. But we remember when we read Acts 10? Remember as the Lord opened Peter's eyes and, and, and opened his heart at what, what he wanted to accomplish? In Acts 10, verse 34, Peter says, then Peter opened his mouth and said, in truth I perceive that God shows no partiality. Peter, Peter, my young little rabbi friend, my young little Jewish friend, you did not know what the law said in Deuteronomy 10, verses 17 to 18? For the Lord your God is the God of gods, and the Lord of lords, a great mighty God, awesome, who shows no partiality or takes a bribe. He administers justice for the fatherless and the widow and loves the stranger, giving him food and clothing. Therefore, love the stranger, for you are strangers in, in the land of Egypt. God doesn't grant special favors for the poor or the rich. Being a good moral person doesn't make me any more special to him. Neither does being a great sinner. He looks at us all the same. God will judge you and judge you equally. God doesn't recognize the dress where I wear a suit or whether I wear rags. God looks at the person in the clothes, not the clothes themselves. God doesn't care what nationality you are. He doesn't care where it is that you've come from. He doesn't care about your rank. Believe me, I was pretty rank. That was a pun. He also doesn't care about your station in life. He'd just rather save the president as a pauper. Would that he would save our president. But Paul understood this about God. It is, he was impartial. It was God who's going to judge us according to our deeds. But it's also God who gives salvation to those who confess and believe in Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. Paul learned this firsthand from Christ himself. It was after these things that Paul went to Corinth. And I love this about Paul. And another characteristic about Paul I love is that he understood the grace of God. He understood God's grace. Do you understand God's grace? Do you really understand God's grace? Can you stand somewhat next to somebody who is so vile and so filthy and practicing such filthy, rotten deeds and is so sinful and say, God loves you? Because that's what it means. 
That's what God's grace is all about. God's grace is not just for us at Calvary Chapel. Ooh, we got it. Oh, that's just to keep it to ourselves. We got God's grace. We don't want to tell them about that. It's ours. Come on. It's not some esoteric thing that only we have the knowledge about. Nobody else can get. God has dispensed his grace to all, and we need to be dispensers of God's grace also. I love this about Paul. He wasn't prejudiced, and he wanted everyone to know Christ, the good, the bad, and the ugly. And when he got to Corinth, it was the latter two that he saw most of. Paul knew that the grace of God was extended to everyone, including him, a murderer. Paul was willing to subject himself to this debauchery. He was willing to be exposed to this lifestyle in hopes of winning those to Christ. That was what Paul wanted to do, and I love this about him. But we, on the other hand, I speak of me, not talking about you, I'm talking about we, on the other hand, me, are not like the Apostle Paul because most of us, me included, show partiality. We show partiality. Be honest with yourself. We show partiality. We look at those who are using the system in contempt. We look at them with despising eyes and with judging hearts when we have the answer that would help them keep them from using the system. Jesus Christ is the answer. But we look down upon them. We look at those who are caught up in sin and we judge them. We judge them. We look at those who have different lifestyles than us and we can't get along with them because they're different. Way too often we're the judge and we're the person who who decides who should be saved and who shouldn't. We're the ones who decide who should receive the gospel and who should not. How dare us? How dare us decide that? Who are we to decide that when God is going to be the one who judges all? This is being and showing partiality. But when you're born again, you're supposed to have a new nature. Behold, all things are supposed to be new. There's no room in a Christian's life for partiality. There's no room in a Christian's life for prejudices, but they exist. Paul knew this, he understood this, and he lived this. It was his life because he knew that he was so connected to Jesus Christ, that unio mystica, he knew that he was so connected with Jesus Christ that when he would walk, Christ would walk. When he would speak, Christ would speak. When he would think, Christ would think. He was so connected to him. In the book of James, we're warned about being partial. James says, my brethren. So that means it's written to those that are saved. My brethren, he calls them. Do not hold the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with partiality. For if there should come into your assembly a man with gold rings and fine apparel, and there should also come a poor man in filthy clothes, you will pay attention to the one wearing the fine clothes and say to him, sit here in the good place. And say to the poor man, you stand there. Sit here at my footstool. Have you not just shown partiality among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? This is so difficult. This is so difficult because it's easy for all of us to fall in this trap. I'm not standing here with a condemning heart, friends. I'm standing here with an encouragement thing that we're new in Christ. And Christ has changed those things from us. And when I point out to you, there are three fingers or four fingers pointing back at me. We need to learn this, that there's no partiality in Christ. But it's a part of our whole social structure. Even our president is trying to divide the classes and make us at war with each other. We respect people above others, but we have to be careful we don't fall in this trap. You are the stories you've been hearing about Peter, Paul, Stephen, and the many other followers of Jesus are meant to inspire you and encourage you. These brave people lived long ago and had the privilege of seeing the gospel message spread from its point of origin, Jesus himself. 
Their testimony and diligence in spreading the good news of hope and new life changed hearts and saved countless people, and continues on even today through the writings and Acts and the rest of the New Testament. However, the lives you were studying weren't without trial. Each disciple of Jesus faced persecution in some form, yet it never swayed them to abandon their faith. What difficulties are you facing for Jesus now? Don't lose heart. Remember that you're sharing the truth and that the truth can set people free. You have the Savior of the world on your side, and He will stand with you through every trial and triumph. We're so glad you joined us for today's edition of Assure Hope as we continue to study the book of Acts with Pastor Dave Shank. If you'd like to listen to more teachings, we invite you to visit our website, assurehoperadio.com. Feel free to download and share Pastor Dave's teachings or subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. Are you in the Cape May area? If so, we want to meet you. Come join us this Sunday at 10 a.m. at Calvary Chapel, Cape May to learn more from the Word, sing praises to your Lord, and fellowship with your brothers and sisters in Christ. Find out more at assurehoperadio.com. Thanks for joining us today on Assure Hope. Rescue.